0: So now we enter into one of the longer scenes in Shakespeare, which is the yeah. epic, uh, wonderful tavern scene. And so I thought just as a way to break this up, why don't we read the sort of first scene, which is up until Falstaff enters, which is sort of the first section of the scene. Um, and uh, there's there are definitely a lot of... Uh, these archaic words that don't have the same that maybe we won't know. So if if there are any that that crop up as we're reading, and and you just want to flag them so that we can talk about them later, please be be sure to do that. Yeah, Coy.
1: I just realized that the audience listening to this is not going to be seeing the lots of quiet nodding happening when when Ari makes cool (laughs) points and we're all kind of quietly on mute going, yeah, that's great. So great. (laughs) We're just supporting each other,
2: quietly supporting (laughs) each other at all times over here for
0: those of you who are listening. (laughs)
3: Ensemble training, everyone. Ensemble training. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, All right. So here we are. We're in the tavern,
0: probably the Boar's Head Tavern in the east end of london this was probably somewhere for those of you who know london um around the station uh that's known as monument now uh which hmm. is around where the great fire in the early um 1600s burned half of london to the ground <laughs> this is right Arrived. around the area where Coy lived during that yeah. time wait a second hang on um where, <laughs> this is right around the area where that fire started Um, But that would have been a couple hundred years later, but this is very much a a working class district of, and kind of to this day, kind of has that reputation as well as being this sort of historical stronghold of of, uh, the working class.
4: Ned, Prithee come out of that fat room and lend me thy hand to laugh a little.
5: Where hast been, Hal?
4: With three or four loggerheads amongst three or four score hogsheads. I have sounded the very bass string of humility. Sir, I am sworn brother to a leash of drawers and can call them all by their Christian names as Tom, Dick, and Francis. They take it already upon their salvation that though I be but Prince of Wales, yet I am the king of courtesy and tell me flatly I am no proud Jack like Falstaff, but a Corinthian, a lad of metal, a good boy, by the Lord, so they call me. And when I am king of England, I shall command all the good lads in East They call drinking deep dying scarlet, and when you breathe in your watering, they cry him, and bid you play it off. To conclude, I am So good a proficient in one quarter of an hour That I can drink with any tinker In his own language during my life. I tell thee, Ned, thou hast lost much honor That thou wert not with me in this action. (sighs) But, sweet Ned, to sweeten which name of Ned I give thee this pennyworth of sugar clapped even now into my hand by an underskinner, one that never spake other English in his life than eight shillings and sixpence, and you are welcome with this shrill addition. Anon, anon, sir, score a pint of the bastard in the half moon, or so. But Ned, to drive away the time till Falstaff come, I pray thee, do thou stand in some by-room while I question my drawer to what end he give me the sugar? And do thou never leave calling Francis, that his tale to me be but nothing but anon? Step aside and I'll show thee a precedent.
5: Francis.
1: Thou art perfect. Francis anon sir anon look down into the palm garden ralph uh, come hither francis i'm uh, my, my lord
4: how long hast thou to serve francis
1: forsooth 5 years and as much to francis anon sir anon 5 year by our
4: lady is long lease for the clinking of pewter but francis darest thou be to play the coward with thy indenture and show it a fair pair of heels and run from it?
1: Oh, Lord, sir, I'll be sworn upon all the books of England if I could find in my heart.
4: Francis! not, not oh. sir! How yes. old art thou,
1: Francis? Let me see. About Michaelmas next I shall be... Francis! <laughs> Anon, Sir pray stay a little my
4: lord. Nay, but hark you, Francis, for the sugar thou gavest me, t'was a penny worth, was not?
1: Oh, 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 oh Lord, I would it had been two.
4: I will give three for it a thousand pound. Ask me when thou wilt, and thou shalt have it. Francis! Anon! Anon! Anon, Francis! No, Francis, but tomorrow, Francis, or Francis, a Thursday, or indeed Francis when thou wilt. But, Francis, my lord, wilt thou rob this lantern-jerkin-crystal-button-non-pated-aget-ring-puke-stocking-caddis-garter-smooth-tongue-spanish-pouch?
1: Oh, lord, sir? Who
4: do you mean? Why? Then, you brown bastard, is your only drink. For look you, Francis, your white canvas doublet will sully. In Barbary, sir, it cannot come so much.
1: What, sir?
5: Francis! Away, you rogue! Dost thou not hear them call? Uh,
1: What standest thou still, and hearest such a calling? Look to the guests within. My lord, old Sir John with half a dozen more are at the door. Shall I let them in?
4: Uh, Let them alone a while, and then open the door.
1: Points! Anon, Anon, sir.
4: Uh, Sir, uh, Falstaff and the rest of the thieves are at the door. Shall we be merry?
1: As merry as crickets, my lad.
5: But hark ye, what cunning match have you made with this jest of the drawer? Come, what's the issue?
4: I am now of all humors that they have showed themselves humors, since the old days of Goodman Adam and the pupil age of this present 12 o'clock at midnight, I have no idea what that means.
0: <laughs> we'll get to it.
1: <laughs> okay. uh, sorry. Uh, what o'clock, Francis? Anon, sir. Uh, Adon. That ever this fellow should have
4: fewer words than a parrot, and yet the son of a woman his industry is upstairs and downstairs his eloquence the parcel of a reckoning i am not yet of percy's mind the hotspur of the north he that kills me some six or seven dozens of scots at a breakfast washes his hands and says to his wife "Fie upon this quiet life i want work oh my sweet harry says she how many hast thou killed today give me you rode horse a drench, says he, and answers, some fourteen, an hour after. A trifle, a trifle. I privy call in Falstaff. I'll play Percy, and that damned brawn shall play Dame Mortimer, his wife.
0: Revo, says the drunkard. Call in ribs, call in tallow. Great, so let's pause there. Whoa. Lot of lot to process here. Um so first of all, I think very important to understanding this scene, a drawer uh, didn't mean like a drawer that you pull out of a desk. It was a drawer of ale. So they would, it's like the barkeep, essentially. They would draw the ale and a vintner drawer. I think had to, was a little bit higher up on the, in the pecking order of, um, of, the, of these uh, inns and the vintner was in charge of the wine. Think of vintage for wine. Uh, there's a lot of uh, imagery of, of, of wine and beer the the brown bastard is a type of very very sweet Spanish wine. We're gonna hear over and over and over again Falstaff calling for sack, which is a sickeningly sweet wine to which they would add sugar. To uh, it's it's kind of extraordinary. I actually got to try some sack uh, last summer and was absolutely repulsed by it. I was like, uh-huh. oh my god, <laughs> it was so it's, it's like it kind of like syrup. sangria. I mean, because sangria is so sweet as the red wine. Yeah, it's like um, if you if you have very like Madeira, I think ah. would also be a, a very uh, good way of um, okay uh, of also seeing this. It just kind of sickeningly sweet, but they would they ate a lot of sugar um, yeah. during this time, and it was a way in which to I you know it's kind of like. There to you get go. Bad There's teeth. some calories. <laughs> yes, everyone had quite bad teeth. But anyway, it's just uh, just to note that, they, that there was a lot of sugar and, and nobody was really drinking water during this time because water was not safe to drink most of the time. It was much safer to drink beer and wine. And yeah. sometimes it would be very watered down uh, beer and wine. Um, but water was very, very, very dangerous unless you knew exactly where it was coming from. Uh, so that's, that's a fun bit. Let's go to that, that bit that you said, Sam, like, oh my God, what the hell? Well, um, I get the
4: first sentence. I am yeah. now humors that have showed themselves humors. And then it just completely doesn't make any sense to me after
0: that. Yes, this is, this is great. So humors here is, is almost like experiences, right? Like human experiences. So I've now experienced the high and low of human experience since the old days of good men, Adam, as in Adam who is in the Bible. So since the very first man to the pupil age of this present 12 o'clock at midnight. So I have experienced all of human, which is quite a bold thing to say. I've experienced all the things.
4: (laughs) Pupil age is what was throwing me off. Yeah,
0: yeah. Very weird formation. It's a funny turn of phrase. But then, of course, you sort of amend it in the next speech where you say, actually, you know what? I'm not even going to touch Hotspur because... I, I don't have that experience of of his sort of killing six or seven dozen Scots at a breakfast, which I, I just love that image of Hotspur. like I wish I had more work. <laughs> um, yeah, Mitch.
2: this this Hotspur thing is really interesting to me as far as this this portion of this scene and and how it relates to Hal. Um, I think of Hotspur as somebody who's like very singularly focused for war, 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 fight, fight, fight. And it and, and we see Hal in this scene being the opposite of that, getting all of these sort of like different experiences of these different types of people, of, of the people who he's been drinking with at the beginning and, and, and saying, oh yeah, they were talking to me. Like I was one of their friends. And then of, uh, of talking to, um, oh God, what's it? Francis uh, at the end, he gets sort of philosophical and and talks about like, oh, isn't it interesting uh, that Francis doesn't have all these, all these words and yet he's still the son of a woman. His industry is upstairs and downstairs. His eloquence, the parcel of a reckoning. It feels to me like Hal spends this scene drunk and somewhat patronizingly, but musing about these people whose life experience was different than his.
1: Well, um, and yeah. you can
2: see how that helps him in Henry V when he's yeah. commanding an army of lower class people like know how to speak to them.
3: Absolutely. I, I had never made that connection before, but that's so interesting. Especially when you juxtapose, you know, the two types of rulers. It's like, yeah, there's the aloof, out of touch, doesn't know what's actually going on with the people, and then you just imagine watching it as maybe a groundling, and how that might inform who you feel like. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I might listen to that guy. Go into battle with him versus <laughs> like these people are out of touch and they have no idea what it's like to work on a farm during the day and then grab a sword and feel like you have to go and fight for something that you don't have any connection to. You know
0: absolutely yeah I, Sam I, I think it's really this is the
4: first time in the reading of Hal that Hal has also felt happy to me mm-hmm. sloshed clearly yeah. but this talking <laughs> to people as Mitchell said earlier has really enlivened him in a way that we have not seen yeah. him be in uh, enlivened throughout uh this play so far mm. this is the that he has to say about anything so far in the entire play um and it's the first time that he's animated beyond like oh yeah that sounds like a good jape and like that sounds like it could be a way to like waste a couple of hours or what have you this is the first time he walks into the scene and like boy does he have some things to say about people that who he was just drinking with and like yeah, they can't wait for me to be king because I'm gonna be like the king of courtesy. And like, this is like the first time he's really, we see, um, or at least I feel like we see the charming person that all of Hal's companions talk
5: about. Mm, it seems like nice. this is the first time he's truly engaged. Yeah. Although, up, up to this point, you know, not only is he off-putting, but he's just, as I think you mentioned, Sam, so bored, so bored. Now he is actively engaged. Yeah, and it's,
4: it's, so, it's so interesting to henry five that you pointed out that it's it's talking to normal working people yeah. makes him this happy and this sort of alive
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah coy can we swear yeah of course there's always he's, an explicit i already word. did that's okay
1: that's he, he's still fucking around with the help yeah right <laughs> i mean like he's having a great time and everything but like Francis has got stuff to do. He's working here, and he's yeah. like, no, "No, no, no, come back! I want to talk to you. I'm not going to work." You know, I don't know. He's like, "Well, you're the prince, totally. so yes, yes, sir. What can I do?" It's like, uh, "I, have, I have tables to serve."
0: Yeah, well, and and also there's this wonderful thing, like even points is like, so what was that about? Like, what what exactly was the point of that? Please illuminate me. You know, <laughs> um, it is definitely like there is there is something about Francis to me that is just so, so delightful because, yeah. so he would be an apprentice age. This is a very, very young guy and he's yeah. waiting on the prince. I mean, oh my gosh, how exciting, you know? But the way he is treated is like very... <laughs> It's not very nice. Patronizing. Is it? I too. mean, it's, it's, it's
2: yeah, it's... it's awful.
0: But I also think there's there's an interesting undertone for me, that, just because of Hal's language in that that speech. His eloquence is the parcel of a reckoning. There's something to me in Hal that's like yearning for that kind of life. That yearning for this life where the biggest thing that happens is you have to run after someone to get them to pay their bill. You know, there yeah. there is something like almost that, that a lot of the. um the characters that have uh, secular power in, in these plays kind of yearn for a simpler life. And we get that, I think almost better than anywhere in Henry the Sixth, with uh, Henry the Sixth sitting on a hill and wishing he was a shepherd and was kind of like the sum total of his existence had to do with like the seasons and how do I keep my sheep? And this is how many hours I have to, you know, so many hours, so many hours. And there's, there's kind of a, there is a romanticization of this life, which of course is incredibly difficult for the people who live this way. Um, you know, as, as, as was mentioned in the robbery scene, these people need to get money, otherwise they will literally die of starvation. There's not really yeah. a social safety, safety net, as there is not really a social safety net in the U.S. Um, either. That's a whole other issue. But there is, there is something interesting to me about his characterization of Hotspur as well in this last speech that as, as we saw, and we didn't really talk that much about, about um, the first Hotspur speech with the letter, which I, I find to be one of the funniest moments in the play of this, the, like rage conversation with this letter um, that um, he wishes he could. And, and this Shakespeare's sort of um, uh, invention of the word skim milk, which is, I, I believe the first time that that phrase ever appears is when he calls the the Lord a dish of skim milk, but that, that, he is very distractible, Hotspur. Like as much as he is very focused on the war, he, you know, after a, a huge, this huge thing, he'll sort of all of a sudden talk about something else and, and he has trouble kind of focusing. So I love this, this characterization of like an hour later, he finishes the conversation that he had started an hour before. So there's, there's all these kind of little details that kind of, to me, let you know that these characters do know each other in at least some sense, or maybe this was their reputation that is being uh, passed on from, from uh, one person to another. But this also, it, it, to drive away the time till Falstaff comes to me is such a wonderful thing that we get at the beginning. As if like, we need to do something with this time that we're given because once Falstaff enters, like we won't, we, our time will be full with Falstaff, I, I just really am I'm quite fond of this. And that, um, you know, as most productions stage it, which I think makes a lot of sense, when Falstaff comes in, everyone comes into the tavern. All Everyone wants to see what's Falstaff gonna do today. I mean, it's like, he's a source of, of entertainment.
3: Norm, <laughs> Norm! <laughs>
0: um, did anyone have any other thoughts about that, that first section of this very long scene?
4: the turn to hotspurs is really fast for me
0: yeah that's it's a good point and something that i will very much be looking forward to talking about in the third kind of mini scene of the scene yes lynn
5: yeah i also think just on that going into the hotspur and then calling to play the part of hotspur and it's that leading up to you know of hal stepping into that role that persona of the son that his father wants in a way Mm.
0: That's lovely, and we're going to get a whole take on his on his father later mm-hmm. in the scene as well. Wonderful. Shall we get into our our second section of this, um, which is where everyone comes in, and uh, this will sort of go until the the hostess's first first line. So this is really the sort of fallout of the robbery and the jest. This this whole section. Okay, so I will just uh, read in for points for now. So. All staff enters with Gatzel, Pito, Bardolph, and Francis, and I always, uh, I love making this moment, I loved uh, having the entire cast on stage for this moment, and, and really treating the entire theater as if it was the tavern, so that people were sort of wandering amongst the audience, and sitting down at their feet, and I love this as a really big scene, um, so they all come in, and Point says, welcome Jack, where hast thou been? A plague of all cowards, I say,
5: and of vengeance too. Merry and amen. Give me a cup of sack, boy, ere I lead this life long, I'll sow nether stocks and mend them and foot them too. The plague of all cowards. Give me a cup of sack, rogue. Is there no
0: virtue extent?
5: Dost thou never seek. I'm I'm so sorry. I'm
4: going very dyslexic. Is that Titan or Titian? Titan, Titan. Uh, okay. Who
0: is one of the, yeah. the titles of the Roman sun god's soul? Got it.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Uh, didst thou never see Titan kiss a dish? Uh, didst thou never see Titan kiss a dish of butter? Pitiful-hearted Titan that melted at the sweet tail of the suns. If thou didst, then behold that
5: compound. You rogue, here's lime in this sack, too. Bleh! <laughs> There's nothing but roguery to be found in villainous man. Yet a coward is worse than a cup of sack with lime in it. Pay! A villainous coward. Go thy ways, old Jack. Die when thou wilt. If manhood, good manhood, be not forgot upon the face of the earth, then I am a shot in herring. There live not three good men unhanged in England, and one of them is fat and grows old. God help the wild, bad world! I say, I would, I were a weaver, I could sing psalms or anything. A plague of all cowards! I say still. Now,
4: now, Woolsack, what mutter you? <laughs>
5: A king's son! If I do not beat thee out of thy kingdom with a dagger of lathe, and drive all thy subjects afore thee like a flock of wild geese, I'll never wear hair on my face more, you prince of Wales.
4: Why, you horse, son, round man! What's the matter?
5: <laughs> Are you not a coward? Answer me to that, and points there.
0: Zunes, you fat paunch, and ye call me coward, by the lord I'll stab (laughs) ye! I'll call thee coward. I'll see thee damned, ere I call thee coward.
5: But I would give a thousand pounds, I could run as fast as thou canst. You are straight enough in the shoulders. You care not who sees your back. Call you that backing of your friends? A plague upon such packing. Give me them that will face me. Give me a cup of sack. I am a rogue if I drunk today. (laughs) Oh, villain, thy lips are scarce wiped since thou drunkest last. Who's one for that? A plague of all cowards still, I say.
4: What's the matter?
5: What's the matter? There be four of us here. Had taken a thousand pounds this day morning well, where is it, Jack? Where is it? Where is it? Take them from us, a hundred upon or four, four of us what a hundred men I am a rogue, if I were not at half sword with a dozen of them two hours together, I have escaped by miracle. I am eight times thrust through the doublet. For through the holes, my buckler cut through and
0: through my sword, act like a handsaw. Ece Signum. So this is eke Signum, and uh, it means behold the evidence, which is one of my <laughs> favorite. He essentially is holding out his sword and saying, behold the evidence. Um, Ece Signum. I
5: never dealt better since I was a man. All would not do a Plague of all cowards, let them speak. If they speak more or less than the truth, they are villains and the sons of darkness.
1: Speak, sirs, how was it? We four set upon some dozen.
3: Sixteen at least, my lord. And bound them. No, no, they were not bound. Rogue, they were
0: bound, every man of them. Or I am a Jew else, an Hebrew Jew, That's in yeah. That's in the original um, one. Okay.
1: Yeah, I had a pagan.
0: Um, Yeah. No, I. um, There's an interesting movement going on right now as we're as we're paused of um, changing certain of Shakespeare's references, um, including uh, when people call each other slave, including the association. It's a very interesting movement, and and this one, for example, Falstaff calls himself a Jew, an Hebrew Jew. Um, which essentially just means he's not a Christian in this sense, but there's definitely like, is that reference necessary for Mm. the humor to land? Um, And is there a a way of, of, anyway, it's an interesting thing. I'm not going to get that much into it, but as a response of the Black Lives Matter movement, there is definitely a a movement in some Shakespeare um, circles to sort of examine the language a little bit more. And when there is sort of, anti-Black linguistic uh, that is sort of entrenched in the language, mainly because of our own contemporary associations, not so much actually that it would be an association in Shakespeare's time, but are there ways that we can still keep the language and also address this issue? So that's just one of, I just wanted to put that in there as a, an awareness that there is something going on right now with uh, Shakespeare scholarship and, and Shakespeare theater mm. um, as a response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but yes, oh. let's let's uh, back we go to the uh, <laughs> to our uh, Falstaff, and let's let's uh, keep an eye on these amazing numbers that keep shifting as as
1: we go through this story. As we were sharing, some six or seven freshmen set upon us
5: and unbound the rest and then come in the other.
1: What fought you with them all?
5: All oh, I know not what you call all. If I fought not with fifty of them, I am a bunch of radish. If there were not two or three and fifty upon poor old Jack, then am I no two-legged creature?
1: Pray
4: God, you have not murdered some of them.
5: Nay, that's past praying for. I have peppered two of them. Two, I am sure, I have paid. Two robed in buckram suits. I tell thee what, Hal? If I tell thee a lie, spit in my face, call me horse, thou knowest my old ward. Here I lay, and thus I bore my point. Four road in Buckram that drive at me with- What?
4: Four? Thou saidest but two even now.
5: Four, Hal? I told thee four. Aye, aye, he said four. These four. Came all afront and mainly thrust at me. I made me no more ado, but took all their seven points in
0: my target, thus.
4: Seven. Why there were but four even now.
0: In buckram? Aye, four in Buckram suits.
5: Seven by these hilts, or I am a villain else.
4: Oh, pretty, let him alone. We shall have more none.
5: Dost thou hear me, Hal?
4: Aye, and mark
5: thee too, Jack. Do so, for it is worth the listening to. These nine in buckram that I told thee of. So it's two more already. Their points being broken. Down fell their hose. Began to give me ground, but I followed me close, came in foot and hand, and with a thought, seven of the eleven I paid. Oh, monstrous eleven buckram men grown out of two? But, as the devil would have it, three misbegotten knaves in Kendall Green came at my back and let drive at me, for it was so dark, Hal, that thou couldst not see my end. These lies
4: are like their father that begets them, gross as a mountain, open, palpable, why, thou clay-brained guts, thou
5: naughty painted fool, thou horse son, obscene, wow. icy, art thou, art thou mad, art thou mad? Is not the truth the truth? Why, how couldst thou know these men
4: in Kendall Green when it was so dark thou couldst not see thy hand?
0: Come, tell us your reason.
5: What sayest thou to this?
0: Come, your reason, Jack. Your reason.
5: What? Upon compulsion? Soon and I were at the Strapado or all the rats in the world. I would not tell you on compulsion. Give you a reason on compulsion. If reasons were as plentiful as blackberries, I would give no man a reason upon compulsion. I.
4: I'll no longer be guilty of this sin. This sanguine coward, this. Bed presser, this horse backbreaker, this
5: huge hill of flesh. It's blood, you starveling, you elskin, you dried meat's tongue, you bull's pizzle, you stockfinch. Oh, for a breath to utter what is like thee, you tailor's yard, you sheep, you bowcase, you vile standing top. Well, breathe a while, and then to it again, and when
4: thou hast tired thyself in base comparisons, hear me speak but this. Mark Jack. We two saw you four set on four, and bound them, and were masters of their wealth. Mark now how plain tale shall put you down. Then did we two set on you four, word outfaced you from your prize and have it, yea, and can show it you here in this house. And Falstaff, you carried your guts away as nimbly, with as quick dexterity, and roared for mercy, and still run and roared as ever I heard bullcalf. What knave art thou to hack thy sword as thou hast done, and then say it was in fight? What trick, what device, what starting hole canst thou now find out to hide thee from this open and apparent shame?
0: (laughs) Come, let's hear, Jack. What trick hast thou now?
5: By the Lord, I knew ye as well as he that made ye. Why, hear you, my masters. Was it for me to kill the heir apparent? Should I turn upon the true prince? Why, thou knowest, I am as valiant as Hercules. But beware, instinct, the lion will not touch the true prince. Instinct is a great matter. I was now a coward on instinct. I shall think the better of myself and thee during my life. I for a valiant lion, and thou for a true prince. But by the Lord, lads, I am glad you have the money. Hostess, clap to the doors. Watch tonight, pray tomorrow, gallants, lads, boys, hearts of gold. All the titles of good fellowship come to you. What, shall we be merry? shall we have a play extempore content and the argument shall be thy running away ah uh, no more of that hell as thou
0: lovest me wonderful so let's pause there that's our wonderful uh the summing up i think falstaff though he is very large is better than anyone at getting out of tight places as we see with that last speech of his he's like I knew it was you and I think (laughs) so much of the of the comedy of this scene really rests on on having an audience because it's like you've got to see all the the people at the bar like wow this is a great story oh Falstaff was so cool and then the way that Hal like punctures this story it's like oh that was so good it's like this step up this this um step up of comedy and then the way that Falstaff tops that with like I knew it was you I just you know, it is like the further of the bit of the joke. So it's you know it's it's just it's a it's an incredible uh, <laughs> sort of build on itself. yeah, Kelly.
3: You know, I can't help but think of the modern parallels happening in the scene because literally we have this, you know, sort of bombastic character <laughs> who just <laughs> believes. If he keeps saying a lie, it will be taken as the truth, <laughs> you yeah. know? Just, and then, you know, when he's caught out on it, doubles down. and yeah. doesn't say like, ah, oh, you caught me. It's like, yeah. oh, no, I actually, I was playing this game the whole time. <laughs> I mean, it's just so shockingly relevant sometimes. Yeah. Which is Absolutely, sort I of think... why
2: Hal oh, sorry, has to, so I was gonna say, which is sort of why Hal has to reject Falstaff. Yeah, when he ultimately becomes king absolutely right because this is this other world this is this this thing that i i mean it it's sort of bs because like again this the, the kingdom was was stolen from richard ii et cetera, et cetera. but he when he becomes king has to reject this like sort of lying world
0: yeah and i i think there's a there's an interesting you know i i love the way that falstaff uses the king's son as like an insult at the beginning of the scene
3: you know all those in the establishment those establishment
0: politicians
3: they're just they're out to get you yeah yeah sam yeah
0: well i just think that this
4: is like the birth of like what's going to go on to become a very famous bit right like i i i i would wonder it would be really interesting to try and see if anybody has done this particular bit before but it's the spanish inquisition right like it's the same joke where every single time that you're like it was for well, no, it was 11, it's that topping in. It's just going to become like standard stock vaudeville. Yeah. Like here on out, and it's really cool to see like, oh, this is the birth kind of, of this particular, I mean, I'm not sure if the birth, there might be other versions of this beforehand, um, but a lot of these classical texts, you can find
0: that. The roots of of modern comedy, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and I think I mentioned before that
5: uh, this is Comedia, or Falstaff is really the Comedia del Art El Capitano um, yeah. character, who's just so overblown and and will never accept defeat, and and is is the center has to be the center of attention simply by, by his own bravado. So yeah, he's been around a long time, Falstaff. Yeah,
0: and El uh, Capitano. Yeah, Mitch.
2: And I think the performative aspect of that character and and Ari, that you're mentioning having an audience on stage around them is really important for the stakes for both Falstaff and Hal in this sort of like (laughs) face-off that sort of (laughs) happens, this comic, this comedic face-off. I also noticed this time that both Hal and Falstaff have proposed having a play uh about two different things. Uh, uh, Hal said, "Let's do it about hot about hotspur," and then Falstaff just recommended, and that you know they were going to do it about Falstaff getting robbed or whatever. Right. So, like this, I don't know if this is a thing that they do, but it's like they are itching to do this play yeah. that eventually will happen about the king and and Hal.
0: Absolutely, and I think I love this. Um, you know, when we get to the the play within the play, um, which again, it's like. Uh, Mm-hmm. Shakespeare loves doing this. You know, we got this in Hamlet as well, like th- pointing out the very theatrical nature of theater while you're in the theater um, is, is, I think, a favorite kind of trope. But we, we, we see this this wonderful um, that this is entertainment for all of these people, you know, remembering that the, the, the plays were some of the only ways that most people could experience entertainment. Were were inherently theatrical ways. I mean, they didn't have um, a huge amount of the population couldn't read and couldn't, you know, entertain themselves in that way, and everyone went to the theater, all, all and classes it was, of people. And it was a way to gain information about
5: what was happening at the moment in the time, politically, socially. I think this
0: is how Absolutely. people got information because they didn't read. So this is this is the way they gleaned it through the plays and And there's a, a huge um you know there's there's an interesting history of sort of seeing the theater because the roots of the theater, at least Western theater, come from the church, yeah. of seeing um, theater as being a tool to teach, to teach morality, to teach um, what is right and what is wrong behavior yeah. and and yeah. that that kind of works its way. We get some of the influence of morality plays. We're going to hear, Hal used the language of morality plays to talk about Falstaff in a few pages when he calls him a Reverend Vice. Vice was a very big figure in the morality plays. And yeah. there's an interesting comment on the, the kind of history of, of, of theater. But also, you know, Shakespeare, I think one of my favorite things about Shakespeare is that he is coming from this time where, you know, virtue and vice were personified, black and white on stage as characters, but he, very few of his characters are ever all good or all evil he complicates that narrative in a really beautiful way, which is, I think why we remember the plays and we don't really remember the morality plays. They must've been quite boring. And in fact, having read one or two, they, they are quite boring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> every man, oh, there's a, there's a fun piece. I, oh yeah, let's everyone should do every man. Yeah I, remember, yeah, I remember having fun reading that one just in terms of the, the history, but but yeah, I, I think this the, the grand joke I think there is there's an interesting interpretation that that Poins and Hal are are kind of floored by Falstaff's way of getting himself out of this hole and that they're like i I remember the the guy who was playing points in the production he like went off and had a hissy fit in the corner for like the rest of the scene because he was like (laughs) his ultimate jest he was gonna get Falstaff and Falstaff manages to like wriggle away and he was just like crushed (laughs) yeah 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 which is is fun i think that it's always fun when you can find the sort of individual narratives for each uh character in this yes coy
1: I just was going to about points. I think it's really funny that he's kind of sitting back and egging both of them on. And he's like, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a good point. Oh no, that was really, what do you want to say about that? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what he what do you want to say about that? Very much the
0: hype man of this scene. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So then we have a, a shift and we, uh, the next section will be, will enclose uh, new information that we get about the rebellion, that the rebellion is now public. And um, I would just like us to sort of keep in mind as we watch this that a discovery that I made actually when I was directing the scene with a group of very young kids. And I sort of had this realization uh, when Falstaff comes in and is talking about all these people, um, oh my God, aren't you afraid? These people are, are rebelling against the kingdom that the audience that he is saying this in front of are the very people who are gonna be drafted into service. And there is a huge significance in that. Oh, my God, another civil war. Um, And I think to me, that explains why they press ahead with the play. It's like a way of cheering everyone up, because all the people in this tavern know that they're about to be pressed into service and will most likely die um, for these civil wars, which they have really no stake in. So I think that's just something to keep in mind as we, as we go into this next uh, section. And this, this little bit, well, Falstaff, I, I always envision the actor playing Falstaff goes off and has a really, really large gulp of water in this little exit because it's, it's quite an exhausting scene and you have so many lines in this scene. And I always thought that Shakespeare put this in so that you could go off stage and just get a breather. <laughs> <laughs> coming on no for doubt. the second part. <laughs> Um, He's a theater man. He knows. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that's actually why the Hotspur scene is put into this act um, and not as it would, you know, it's just like to give all the the robbery people a, a, a little break. Like, I think to me, it's just more and more evidence that Shakespeare had to be someone who was a part of the theater because the intricacies, they don't quite like it would make a lot of sense to do the entire robbery as one sort of a three scene arc. But yeah. having that that intrusion of Hotspur actually means that the actors get a bit of a break, which is something you want to have for your actors. So anyway, in comes our wonderful hostess, who's one of the best malapropism <laughs> characters in in all of Shakespeare, I think. Um, but she's coming in with some news.
3: Is it Jesu or Jesu or Jesus or Jesu? Yeah, Jesu. Okay, thank
0: you. <clears throat> it's like Jesus without the X, the the S. The okay. Ek.
3: Wouldn't that be funny if
0: Jesus had an X in it?
3: Oh, Jesu, my lord, the prince?
4: Uh, how now, my lady, the hostess, what sayest thou to me?
3: Mary, my lord, there's a nobleman of the court at door would speak with you. He says he comes from your father?
4: Uh, give him as much as will make him a royal man, and send him back again to my mother.
5: What manner of man is he? An old man? Ah, what doth gravity out of his bed at midnight? Shall I give him an answer? I'll oh, prove do, Jack. Faith and I'll send him packing. Now, sirs, by your lady who fought
4: fair, so did you, pedo, so did you, Bardolph. You are lions, too. You ran away upon instinct. You will not touch the true prince. No fine.
2: Faith, I ran when I saw others run.
4: Faith, tell me now in earnest, how come Falstaff's sword be so hacked?
3: Why he hacked it with his dagger and said he would swear truth out of England, but he would make you believe it was done in fight and persuaded us to do the like.
2: Yeah, and to tickle our noses with spear grass to make them bleed, and then to beslubber our garments with it and swear it was the blood of true men. I did that I did not the seven year before I blushed to hear his monstrous devices.
4: Oh, villain, thou stolest a cup of sack 18 years ago and wert taken with the manor, and ever since thou hast blushed extempore. Thou hadst fire and sword on thy side, and yet thou ranest away. What instinct hadst thou for it?
2: My lord, do you see these meteors? Do you behold these exhalations? I do. What think you they portend?
4: Hot livers and cold purses? Collar, my lord, if rightly taken. No, if rightly taken, halter.
0: Oh, Uh, so here is, I just wanted to mention that this is a a bit of a chilling uh, foreshadow to Henry V, where they they are in France and Bardolph is caught stealing from a French church and Henry V has to hang him. And it's, I, to, it's for my money, it's one of the saddest moments because you've seen Prince Hal be with Bardolph for these two plays, and then in Henry V, you see Bardolph hanged. I think they uh, Ken Brennan did a, a beautiful job with that moment in his uh, 1989 film of this. Don't be a mention, name dropper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him, Coy. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that moment in his film <laughs> um, but yeah I, I I just like wanted to give a shout out to the other thieves who um, the other thieves like what are they going through during this during this whole interaction you know like they've clearly been told <laughs> to like do this thing and tell this story. And they clearly didn't get the story right when they were asked by Falstaff to back them up. And then it's like, are they relieved that Falstaff gets it? I think there's there's a whole range of ways to to play Pito and Bardolph and, and Gadsell's reactions during this. And, and are they like a little unit? Are they fighting among each other? So anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out to our other thieves who uh, get these little, little moments. Anyway, in comes, uh, false,
4: yeah. ah! Here comes Lean Jack. Here comes Bare Bones. How now, my sweet creature of bombast?
5: How long is to go, Jack, since thou sawst thine own knee? My own knee? Ah! When I was about the years, Hal, I was not an eagle's talon in the waist. I could have crept into any alderman's slumbering. A plague of sighing and grief. It blows a man up like a bladder. There's villainous news abroad. Here was Sir John Bracy from your father. You must be the court in the morning. That same mad fellow of North, Percy, and he of Wales, that gave Ammon Am-amon? Yes. Am-amon? Am-amon. Am-amon the best the bastinado, and made Lucifer cuckold and swore the devil his true liegeman upon the cross of a Welsh hook. What a plague call you him. Oh, Glendower. Owen. Oh, oh, and the same. And his son-in-law Mortimer and old Northumberland and that sprightly Scott of Scots, Douglas, that runs o' horseback back up the hill perpendicular. He that rides at high speed and with a pistol kills a sparrow flying. You have hit it. So did he never the sparrow? Well, that rascal hath good mettle in him. He will not run. Why,
4: what rascal art thou then to praise
5: him for so running? Oh, horseback ye cuckoo, but a foot he will not budge a foot.
4: Yes, Jack,
5: upon instinct. I grant ye, upon instinct. Well he is there too. And one mornake and a thousand blue caps more. Were stirs stolen away tonight. Thy father's beard is turned white with the news. You may buy land now as cheap as stinking mackerel.
4: Why well, then it's like if there come a hot June and this civil buffeting hold, we shall buy maiden's head as they buy hobnails
5: by the hundreds. By the mass, lad, thou sayest true. It is like we shall have a good trading that way. But tell me, Hal, art that now horrible afeard? Thou being heir apparent, but the world pick thee out three such enemies again as that fiend Douglas, that spirit Percy and that devil Glendower? Art thou not horribly afraid? Doth not thy blood thrill at it?
4: Not a whit, I faith.
5: I lack some of thy instincts. Call ah, back. Ah, well, thou, <laughs> well, thou wilt be horribly shy tomorrow when thou comest to thy father. If thou love me, practice an answer.
4: Do thou stand for my father and examine me upon the particulars of my life?
5: Shall I? Mm, Content. This chair shall be my state, this dagger my scepter, and this cushion my crown. Thy state is
4: taken for a joint stool, thy golden scepter for a leaden dagger, and thy precious rich
5: crown for a pitiful bald crown. Well, in the fire of grace be not quite out of thee, thou shalt be moved. Give me a cup of sack to make my eyes look red, that it may be thought I have wept. For I must speak in passion, and I will do it in King Cambyses' vein.
0: Well, Uh, here's my leg.
5: Cambyses. Cambyses' vein. Well, here's my leg. And here is my speech. Stand aside, nobility. Oh, Jesus, or Jesus, this is excellent
3: sport of faith.
5: If not, sweet queen for trickling tears are vain.
3: Oh, the father, how he holds his countenance.
5: For God's sake, lords, convey my tristful queen, for tears do stop the floodgates of her eyes.
3: Oh, Jesus, he doth it as like one of of these harlotry players, as ever I see. Peace,
5: good pint-pot, peace, good tickle-brain. Harry, I do not marvel where thou spendest thy time, but also... How thou art accompanied. For though the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows, yet youth, the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. That thou art my son, I have partly thy mother's word, partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick of thine eye and a foolish hanging of thy nether lip that doth warrant me. If then thou be son to me, here lies the point. Why being son to me, art thou so pointed at? Shall the blessed son of heaven prove a misher?
0: Micher, misher? Uh, Mitter. It just uh, means a a truant or an absentee. (laughs) Shall the blessed son
5: of heaven prove a misher and eat blackberries? A question not to be asked. Shall the son of england prove a thief and take purses? a question to be asked there is a thing harry which thou hast oft heard of and it is known to many in our land by the name of pitch this pitch as ancient writers do report doth defile. so doth the company thou keepest or harry now i do not speak to thee and drink but in tears not in pleasure, but in passion, not in words only, but in woes also. And yet there is a virtuous man whom I have often noted in thy company, but I do not know his name. What manner of man, and it like your majesty? A goodly, portly man in faith, and a corpulent of a cheerful look, a pleasing eye. And a most noble carriage, and as I think, his age some fifty, or by a lady inclining to threescore. And now, and now I remember me. His name is Falstaff. If that man should be lewdly given, he deceived me. For Harry, I see virtue in his looks. If then the tree may be known by the fruit. As the fruit by the tree, then preemptorily I speak it. There is virtue in that false staff. Him keep with, the rest banish. And tell me now, thou naughty violet, tell me where hast thou been this month? Dost thou speak like a king? Do thou stand for me, I'll play my father. Depose me? If thou does it half so gravely, so majestically, both in word and matter, hang me up by the heels for a rabbit sucker or a poulter's hair. Well, here I am set. And here I stand. Judge my masters. Now, Harry, whence come you? My noble lord, from Eastcheap. The complaints
4: I hear of thee are grievous.
5: So blood, my lord, they are false. Nay, I'll tickle ye for a young prince of faith.
4: Swearest thou, ungracious boy? Henceforth ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old fat man. A ton of man is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humors, that bolting hutch of beastliness, that sworn parcel of dropsy, that huge bombard of sack, that stuffed cloak bag of guts, that roasted manning tree ox with the pudding in his belly, that revered vice, that gray iniquity, that Father ruffian, that vanity in years. Wherein is he good but to taste sack and drink it? Wherein neat and cleanly but to carve a capon and eat it? Wherein cunning but in craft? Wherein crafty but in villainy? Wherein villainous but in all things?
5: Wherein worthy? But nothing. I would your grace would take me with you. Who means your grace? That
4: villainous, abominable misleader of youth, Falstaff, that old, white-bearded Satan. Ah, yeah, my
5: lord, the man I know. I know thou dost. But to say I know more harm in him than in myself were to say more than I know. That he is old, the more the pity. His white hairs do witness it. But that he is, saving your reverence, a whoremaster master, that I utterly deny. If sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked. If to be old and merry be a sin, then many an old host that I know is damned. If to be fat, to be hated, Then Pharaoh's lean kine are to be loved. No, my good lord. Banish Peto, banish Bardolph, banish Poins. But for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant being as he is old Jack Falstaff. Vanish not him by Harry's company, banish not him, by Harry's company, banish plump Jack, and banish all the world.
4: I do, I will.
0: <gasps> Let's pause there. Wow. Yeah. So that's an incredible moment. Um, I think there's so many ways of interpreting that. I think the, i, I one of the interesting interpretations i've seen is that i do the prince is still speaking as the king and i yes. will he speaks as himself uh-huh. um i think there's there's interesting uh, a lot of interesting resonances mm-hmm. here to the end of henry the fourth act uh, part two oh, yeah. where um falstaff says you know my king my jove i speak to thee my heart and hal says i know thee not old man yeah. there is a an echo that we're gonna I, I feel like the echo of this moment bounces to the end of, uh, of henry the fourth part two yeah. in, in a very big way what were what were your impressions sort of sort of reading it and how how both of them portray the king the poor king
5: <laughs> yeah You know, I can't help but think while, while, you know, he is certainly portraying the king and then of course Hal himself, you know, he is nonetheless Falstaff and, you know, there are always overtones that while I am the king and or while I am Hal, I am still Falstaff. In other words, I'm not sure that he really gets it, you Mm. know, I'm not sure that he ever really uh,
0: allows himself to be any other character than (laughs) Falstown. And he's so entertaining that we just sort of go with it. I mean, just as the hostess says like, oh my God, he's just as good as those people that we watch up on stage. Like, and and harlotry players are sort of like, What's kind of funny is that she's like, oh, he's so good. He's like those trashy actors that we watch is essentially (laughs) like what she's saying there, which I just love. She's like these sort of tawdry third rate actors. He's just as good as they are. Um, And that we love them for it. You know, it's, 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 I, it's great, but there, there is an interesting shift for me in this, uh, the language gets very old. The King Cambyses vein um you uh, king cambyses was the uh, the king of uh, the persians is represented in a in a contemporary play that was written at the same time as shakespeare by thomas preston called cambyses so this is a very popular play at the time and it was very like bombastic like very big and so i think that's that's the sort of indication and then when when hal gets to be the king he talks about vice and iniquity and ruffian and vanity all of which were these stock characters in morality plays so there is a really interesting kind of comment on the history of theater within this little play yes Sam um
4: as strange as this sounds like I feel like almost like a little broken-hearted right now because in this moment of playing the king is the first time that I actually honestly feel like I see the love that these two men have for one another mm. and even though Hal knows that he's made a bunch of choices, the way that his father feels about him at the top of that speech, um, swearest thou ungracious boy, henceforth ne'er look on me, thou art violently carried away from grace. Like he's saying, there's a moment of him saying all of the, the things that he wishes that he had from his dad. And then when he lays into Falstaff, Falstaff's response is how Hal feels about Falstaff, but it can't really come from Hal's own mouth. Hal has to like, it has to be this, they have to be playing each other in this weird way for the truth of how these two men to like, feel each other come out. It, it really is heartbreaking because while that's like the harshest Hal does lay into him, it felt the least mean to it. And when Falstaff, when Falstaff responds with, in the character of Hal, Like I do feel like that is how Hal actually really does truly feel about Mm. even though he can't ever actually say it out loud in that manner.
0: That's lovely. I I like that a lot. Yeah. I think the scene always like brings a little bit of a tear to my eye as well because it's just, it's, you know, it's the love story that couldn't be in in this kind of strange way. It's, it's this um, interesting brother father maybe relationship a, a surrogate father a surrogate brother that he just doesn't I mean Hal has three other brothers um who are very, all very active within the the government but he doesn't seem to connect to them the same way it's actually talked about in the in part two that he is able to connect to these people in this tavern and Falstaff in particular yeah Mitch
2: I just charting Hal's path over the course of this little chunk that we just read, right? Like he's, he's just received the information that there's a rebellion coming. I I don't know if he knows that it was brewing or not, but like, that, literally he's been summoned. Right. So he's got to know, I think that the moment of, if he's going to set all of this aside, that moment is imminent. Mm. And so he goes into this play with, with that, which is interesting. And then I was struck listening to it that, Hal then has to play the king, and obviously he's 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 playing his father to some you know to some extent, but he's also being the king, and I, I think like the 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 enacting the acting out of that sort of persona has to leave him changed in some way, yeah. um, sort of towards the end, and it, it felt like he was changed in in many ways uh, by the end of this, and and then the way he starts talking sort of after this. Feels different in some way, yeah. like, so I think actually the acting out of being the king maybe does have some big uh, step, even though it's comical towards actually making him the
1: king.
0: I like that. Yeah, Coy, did you have something in well?
1: Yeah, just just kind of hearing it being spoken is so different than how it would be staged. I mean, we've talked about it a lot being mm. this is the pub, and there's not only the audience but anyone else who's on stage to play with. But I think it's constantly that side of whether it's Falstaff or whether it's the prince and whichever character they're playing, you know, what, what of them, what are they saying that's to the pub and the audience and kind of like, right, that buddy Falstaff, like me guys. And then, and then when does it fall into the two of them talking just to each other um, Mm -hmm. and using the excuse of the characters they've adopted and it becomes much more private um, and they're not, acknowledging the, that this is a big play and a joke. Again, that kind of balance is interesting to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, D. It
5: just seems to me that the major shift occurs when, he, when, when the whole pub, I guess, is informed that he has been summoned by his father. Yeah. And it seems at that point, everything shifts because now it becomes very serious. He knows something is afoot. And he must respond, he must appear before his father. So that's that seems to me the shift at that point, right mm. there. Yeah,
0: yeah, Sam. Um,
4: I just think that Banish Plump Jack and Banish All the World could be the log line for yeah. these two plays because isn't yeah. that exactly what happens? Yeah, Al is out living amongst the people, right? He's talking to all of these lower class people. He spends his life with the lower class people who and have no uh, uh, responsibilities for them. And the end of this play is going to be, or the end of these two plays is going to be how banishing Plump Jack and banishing the world, the only thing that he has left to do after he banishes Falstaff is to go and die pretty much, you know, in wars and to serve the country. The world is in a weird way over for Hal when he banishes Plump Jack. Mm. And the really resonated for me when uh, Dee spoke it just now, where I was like, oh my God, that is like, yeah. that's the story of this character in a way. Yeah, Dude, that's it. Banishing Jack and banishing the world to do, to be the king, to be the state, to be the world.
5: He banishes that entire world at, at the tavern. That world is over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and then he has a wonderful he has a wonderful reconnection with that in Henry V when he disguises himself as a as a soldier and goes amongst his soldiers and <laughs> one of my favorite this someone asks him his name and he says Harry Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> Harry the king, right? It's, Sounds it's a like wonderful a stripper. moment. I
5: know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, Male stripper, yeah. Yeah, Ke- uh, Kelly. I think it's really interesting, um, Koi, Kind of what you were you were talking about is this. You know, this is a very public scene. You, Ariana talks a lot, especially when directing about public versus private. But and I think this is this is Ariana um, <laughs> saying that you know one of the most impactful and often like turning points in a story is when you get a private moment in public. Yeah, and I feel like the end of that speech is definitely that's you know i i see that what coy was pointing out like it goes from this very bombastic absolutely like pointing out thing uh to a very honest and real and and shocking and sort of private moment in the same way that they do in hamlet you know in the in the in the player scene in hamlet that happens as well so Mm. i just find Mm it's interesting that Shakespeare does use these worlds of plays within plays to to even make that more heightened um and especially when it's going to get to this moment of of ultimate change
0: yeah absolutely yeah and I I I think thank you for bringing that up Kelly you you know (laughs) you know how much I love the the private Uh, character moment in a public setting is like always one of my favorite things to stage as a director. I I
3: enjoy, I enjoy being in those uh, Ariana Carp directed (laughs) moments. (laughs) Well,
0: thanks. Um, And I, I, I think to me, what, what struck me just from the director perspective is how important it is to have other people on stage during this, like how much energy and sort of how much more, how many more points of focus both Falstaff and Hal can have when they have an audience to play to, when they're like, oh yeah, was that a good one? How good is this insult, you know? And that, and that actually that this the idea of this being kind of a collective scene is kind of important to, to its, um, its inherent moments of theatricality as well. That, that if, you, if, if the kind of purpose of the scene of the play is to entertain the people in the tavern. It actually gives a lot of meaning, a lot more uh, meaning at the top. And then we get to the the personal meaning by the end. It's like
3: you almost want to see it in the round just to have yeah. that like intensity of gaze on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, quite.
1: On top of that kind of, it'd be nice to know what the, I mean, the directors could obviously make a choice, but knowing what the audience, the um, the pub goers, what they think of everything that's being said, because there's this interesting, I'm looking at the sweet Jack, Falstaff, kind Jack, true Jack, valiant, and more valiant because he's old, you know, this is like, you know, he can be getting a lot of support here. And when, um, when uh, Hal is kind of saying, no, he's terrible. He's this, he's this, like is, is the audience turning on him? And is it a kind of a public like, oh, you're setting them up so that we can do it something. Oh, we're gonna, you know, are, we, are, are they a part of it? Or does it get really uncomfortable because he's not playing to the audience at all? And all of a sudden yeah. it's just directly to Falstaff and it gets really, ooh, this is not fun anymore. You're being mean. And that kind of how, the, how everyone else is reacting to the two of them and how they're including them or, or rejecting them as an audience, I think really adds to a lot of how comfortable or uncomfortable the full the the Shakespearean audience could feel
0: absolutely, and I think even the the pub goers too, like the other the other sort of reacting characters on stage, have almost always seen it that by the end, you know the 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 fat jokes are really funny, right? Like the roasted Manning Triox with a pudding in his belly, and then it takes a turn, and it's still kind of funny, but it starts being a little bit. By the time you get to wearing villainous, but in all things wearing worthy, but in nothing. That's like not really funny anymore. That's like there's there's a bit more of an edge to those insults. And then it's like Falstaff seems to diffuse the tension a little bit with like, who on earth could you be talking about? You know, and then there's another, there's another great sort of we get a breath and we get this collective like, yeah, exactly. Who could he be talking about? But then I love this misleader of youth. You're the person he misled. You're the youth he misled in your in your own you know way so it's an interesting but then but then we get into it's like everyone kind of begins to smile again with the with the if sack and sugar be a fault God have the wicked it's like we get the crowd going again and then we cut them off at the at the knees with the I do I will you know so I think the 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 entire pub goes on kind of an emotional trajectory with the characters during this during this this bit yes Sam
4: well, just on a play about fathers, what I said before, right? It starts off where he's like playing the character of his father. And by the end of that monologue, he is, I think, doing a really good job of acting and inhabits his father by the end of that speech. Yeah. And I, I, I so think that there's something in Falstaff's response in a play about fathers and sons and who your real father might be and all that, where Falstaff is like, I know, I know i'm your dad really and i know that you love me and as you i'm going to remind you of that and that's where that's mm. that's sweet by the end of it it really is like uh uh hearing d do it gave me like a real be- clumped feeling yeah. <laughs>
5: like, i am too yeah
4: I, oh my god i will oh it's and it's and that's it man he's so like, I don't want to read too much modern stuff into it, but I just sort of feel the weight. And I have a good relationship with my dad. I'm just going to throw that out there. But I so feel the weight of, like, that everybody wants their dad to, like, when the king fuck, like, your own dad who is the king is, like, you're a disappointment at the top of the play. He must have heard before, I wish hot purse. why aren't you Hotspur? Like, I'm going to the pub. Fuck you, dad. And, like, yeah. that, you know, um, and so that's, that moment is just, the connection between the two of them is so strong and so beautiful and Falstaff, I just can imagine looking him right in the eyes and being like, I'm reading your soul right now and this is how you feel about me."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, so my dears, let's move on to the, just uh, reading the the last bit of it. And, and also just note that we've been in prose for this whole scene. When the sheriff enters, Prince Hal switches to verse. Just very interesting. And then switches as soon as, back to prose, as soon as, this is the only bit of verse coming up that we're gonna have in this entire gargantuan scene.
1: Oh, my lord, my lord, the sheriff with a most monstrous watch is at the door.
5: Pauke, rogue, play out the play. I have much to say in the behalf of that false Oh, Okay,
3: Sue, my lord, my
5: lord. Hi, hi, the devil rides upon a fiddle stick. What's the matter?
3: The sheriff and all the watch are at the door. They're come to search the house. Shall I
5: let them in? Dost thou hear, Hal? Never call a true piece of gold a counterfeit. Thou art essentially mad without seeming so.
4: And thou a natural coward without instinct.
5: I deny your major. If you will deny the sheriff, so. If not, let him enter. If I become not a cart, as well as another man, a plague upon my bringing up! I hope I shall as soon be strangled with a halter as another.
4: Go, oh, hide thee behind the auras. The rest walk up above. Now, my masters, for a true face and good conscience,
5: both which I have had, but their date is out, and therefore I'll hide me.
4: Call on the sheriff. Now, Master Sheriff, uh, now, Mr. Sheriff, what is your will with me?
0: First, uh, pardon me, my lord, a hue and cry have followed certain men unto this house. What men? One of them is well known, my gracious lord, a gross fat man.
1: As fat as butter.
4: The man, I do assure you, is not here, for I myself at this time have employed him. And, Sheriff, I will engage my word to thee that I will by tomorrow dinner time send him to answer thee, or any man, for anything he shall be charged with all. And so let me entreat you. Leave the house.
0: I will, my lord. There are two gentlemen have in this robbery lost three hundred marks.
4: It may be so. If he have robbed these men, he shall be answerable. And so,
0: farewell. Good night, my noble lord.
4: I think it is good morrow, is it not?
0: Indeed, my lord, I think it'd be two o'clock.
4: This oily rascal is known as well as Paul's. Go, call
3: him forth. Falstaff, staff! <sighs> Fast asleep behind the heiress and snorting like a horse.
4: Hark now, hard he fetches breath. Search his pockets. What hast thou found?
3: Nothing but papers, my lord.
4: Hmm, let's see what they be. Read them.
3: Um item uh, capon two shillings two pence item sauce four pence item sack two gallons five shillings eight pence item anchovies and sack after supper two shillings six pence item bread halfpenny.
4: oh monstrous but one half penny of bread to this intolerable deal of sack what there is else, keep close. We'll read it at more advantage. There, let him sleep till day. All to the court in the morning. We must all to the wars and thy place shall be honorable. I'll procure this fat rogue a charge of foot and know his death will be a march of 12 score. The money shall be paid back again with advantage. Be with me betimes in the morning. And so good morrow, Peto.
3: Good morrow, good my lord. Wow! Woo! Twenty page Woo! scene.
0: That's like uh, the length of a full act. Um, I,
4: I will say this on more of a at the. That's the most responsible we've seen Hal this entire play. At yeah, the...
0: yeah. I, I, I mean, I did want to just talk briefly about this this strange interaction with the sheriff that um yeah. that Hal has. I mean. It's, he seems to delight in kind of messing with him a little bit as well. I mean, we'll see in, in, in part two, we have kind of a long ranging. He, it, historically, this actually happened that the Lord Chief Justice, Hal was kicked off the King's Council for actually getting into a physical altercation with the Lord Chief Justice. And he kind of holds it against him for the whole thing. And the Lord Chief Justice is a really interesting character that we meet in, in, in part two. And he actually imprisoned Hal, <laughs> which is kind of a ballsy thing to do for the, the mm-hmm. crown prince. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, we get the sense that Hal does not do very well with the uh, executive authority branches in this kingdom. Um, he, he doesn't seem to, to do very well. And then I, I think it's really funny that like his last thing, he is going to pay back the money. The people that were robbed will get paid with extra money. But also that he's like, ooh, let me see what can I do more to humiliate Falstaff. I know I'll take his purse and I'll also instead of making him a cavalry captain, he's going to be a foot soldier, which we know like Falstaff would far rather be on a horse. I just it's it's a funny way to end the scene with like the final jest. Yeah. I think in a in a in a sense. <laughs> but
4: but also defends him, right? Like what. One... Yeah. A man he covers, he covers for the entirety of his crew to the sheriff. Um, you know, and and I don't think he cracks a single fat joke to the sheriff. The sheriff and crap make a fat joke, but I think there's times that Hal doesn't have the opportunity where he could make a fat joke about Falstaff crap. Yeah,
0: I I mean, he doesn't take the bait with the with the what men and then the sheriff saying, oh yeah, one of them's a, a gross fat man and the carrier being like, he's as fat as butter. But There's he does acknowledge that he knows who they're talking about, which is also kind of amusing. Oh, that, that man is not here. <laughs> you know, like, as far how,
4: yeah. as we'll go, he calls him an oily rascal.
0: Yes, yes. Yes,
4: go ahead, I just
5: wonder. I just wonder how often is that little piece uh, with the sheriff, how
0: often is that cut, do you know? Or not? Um, It's it's normally in there because we need to see that there is like a kind of, I think what's important about this interaction is that it's a reminder that robberies had very big consequences. I mean, also just for people who, you know, I've been reading a very interesting uh, history of the Chicago Police Department. Police were not created for public safety. Police were created to deal with property rights. Right. And violations of property yeah. rights. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important to remember, first of all, when looking at our problems with contemporary police and like, why don't they why don't they protect people? Because, I mean, that is a a, a yeah. much it's it's a anachronistic thought. And it's, a, it's a modern it's a modern
5: theory, too.
0: Yeah, very uh, much. More modern, I mean, they yeah. were they were created. The reason the sheriff yeah. is, is involved with this is, you know, robberies were their their big thing you know if somebody has stolen property it needs to be you know yeah I mean, we can take a team. very very strong marxist yeah. critique yeah. of this of this yeah. world it's all about property well, because property determined your status period. exactly exactly period. yeah um but so but so the sheriff who would be the the sort of the head of the sort of executive local executive branch of government is obviously coming and he's coming in the middle of the night to yeah. try and find the thieves that took this was not an insignificant amount of money that was stolen. yeah
3: a um, thousand
1: pound <laughs> yeah uh koi i just i got kind of jumping off of what what sam was saying i i like that how he follows through what what uh, earlier we saw that the thieves kind of expected right the that if don't worry if we get in trouble he'll cover for us and he does yes. he covers yes. Uh, For them, but then he kind of not only to the audience but to the people in the pub is kind of confirming that he's, yeah, as you said, going to return the money, but also that there will be that that giving him the charge of being a foot soldier is is punishment, right? So it's kind of like he's not getting away scot free. Like he's a friend, so I'm not going to hang him. I'm going to repay the money, but don't worry, I'll give him a little punishment by making him be a foot soldier. Yeah,
3: (laughs) absolutely. Yes, Kelly. Well, I I do think it's interesting that, you know, this interaction with the sheriff about Falstaff happens not even a page after Hal basically admits, like, yeah, if push comes to shove, I'm, you know, you and I, our our bonds are not blood, you know, like, Mm. and he says basically, I'll turn you in, and then he doesn't. But there is, you know, there, like Coy was saying, there are still consequences, but. It is it's that push pull once again, right? Between duty and and friendship and wish mm-hmm. father and and but it's so I mean it's so quick. It comes so fast after he says, I do, I will. Yeah. You know, and I you know, good on good on our friend Shakespeare for being a an expedite dramatist in this twenty page scene to get to <laughs> the really quickly after a really long scene. Yeah.
4: I have a question for Ari really quickly because yeah. In the thing that you said at the top of going into the back end of this, that they all know that there's a war brewing and all of these lower class people are going to be pressed into the levees at the bar. Uh, Hal has this last little moment where he says, we must all to the wars,
0: mm-hmm. and
4: thy place shall be honorable. Do you feel that the thy place there mm. is a direct comment towards Petto, Or do you yeah. think that he is actually talking to everybody there that is around him in the pub.
0: Well, I think it's pedo just because everyone exits before then, except for the prince and pedo.
4: Like uh, before the
0: sheriff comes in, everyone hides or leaves through the back door so that yeah. the only people that are left are pedo and the prince. It's weird to me that it isn't points. It's kind of a strange yeah. Little yeah. thing that it we've seen how have a special relationship with poins and now he has one with pito i wonder if shakespeare just forgot that he had two characters with the first name with a P, with a yeah, P. <laughs> yeah yeah um well but
1: but if poins yeah. is aristocratic then wouldn't he kind of he doesn't need to worry about his place in the wars it's the people who are being pressed that need to worry about being pressed into a good or a bad position
0: yeah, yeah absolutely and i think i think it is important to to feel the impact of that we must all to the wars Um, And, you know, these poor people who are in this pub, you know, their lives are not very easy to begin with. And I think you get the feeling and especially the way in in Act 4 that Falstaff talks about the soldiers that he's recruited. These people are like kind of pushed out of prison, kicked out of prison and then immediately put into service for the crown. Um, And they have no stakes in this. You know, it doesn't matter to them who sits on the throne. It's like it has very little effect on their day to day life. But. Yet they're willing. They're not willing. They're they're sort of required to sacrifice their life at the drop of a hat.
3: Yeah, Kelly. Also, in tracking Pito in in this this very long act, uh, he's the only one that never lies. Yeah, you know he he does. He says he's like, no, they weren't bound. That didn't happen. You know, oh, his sword. He. This is what happened with his sword. You know, everything that he says is actually the truth. Yeah, um, so, but, but I think based on the order in which they enter, you know, and obviously being that being the order of hierarchy, he's always the last, which, if that is the case, I think it says something very um, prophetic about, you know, these are the people that are lying and playing around but, these, but this lowest of the low here is the one that's actually telling you the truth.
0: Well, and, and same with Francis too, right? It's sort of, right. a, a sort of um, I think that they, we had an interesting conversation in the King John about, about generational differences and how much the kids get used um, for the, the political purposes and, and sometimes of their parents. I mean, there, there's a sense in which Arthur is a much greater victim than Constance and King John. Um, because he's just being he's being used and used to justify violence, used to justify a lot of other things. Um, and he's a little bit helpless in the in the situation. And I think pedo, because of that, that O and the the sort of like um the I T O in Spanish being, you know, a little a, a sort of suffix for little. Um I, I, I always think of Pito as being like the baby of the group, like the sort of fresh face mm-hmm. baby of the group who um, who's sort of like just hanging around. And there's, and in, in the other two, Henry, the Henry four part two, and in Henry the fifth, there is a boy, there's a very young boy who also, who's very clever, who's very much the, the type of the sort of, the, the commedia dell'arte, the, the sort of uh, very smart servant, um, you know, who's always hungry. There's that, that trope kind of works its way in. But I think, I think Pito, yeah, is very much a, the lower status of, of these guys. Yeah, Coy.
1: I was just thinking about uh, the, the length of this scene, based on what Kelly was saying last. Was how like this act? This act is an incredible. Um, especially the scene in the pub is just beautifully. Um, the 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 kind of rhythm of it is really nice in terms of where it starts, and then it really builds up into a lovely ruckus, and then it ends with uh, emptiness and quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even right before the ending, you have everyone leave and there's a very quiet ba- uh, moment with just the prince and the sheriff and the, you could really stretch that out time-wise as yeah. much as you wanted to kind of balance it but it, in context it's exactly why it can be so tough to pace Shakespeare because this is just one scene and one act and it's really nice when you look at it by itself but and then you think about within the context of every other thing going on in this play it's 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 a it long can get play. really long. It makes a yes. lot of sense why people cut things. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's, and I think actually after this play, after this scene makes a, a hell of a lot of sense. And I know that's where I put my intermission um, mm. was after this. Uh, but I think, yeah, if I were to do it again, I think it would go back and do a little bit more cutting just because it is, it's, it's a lot. And, and with the histories, you know, you have this added Perceived weight, whether or not it's important for the audience, of they're like, oh, I got to do homework before I see a history play. Like I yeah. got to know all this stuff, which I, I don't uh. think you actually need to do. If 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 you if you have a good production and good actors, they'll they'll sort of convey what needs to be conveyed. But I think there is a sort of audience expectation that like, oh God, I've got to do homework to see this history play, and I wish there was a, a an easier way of marketing these plays. I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. They're very hard to market. <laughs> um and their titles don't help
4: <laughs> i think there's something good to, just talking about the history plays and just sort of the uh, and everything that's going on here it's so fascinating to me that there is the tetralogy clearly that's fully done but in the middle of the tetralogy he's also writing king john which is a history play but not part of the tetralogy yeah yet going through it now and knowing that play really well and not knowing this play very well, the echoes of everything is Definitely reverberating inside of King John, um, even John is not at all part of the hollow crown or this original sin of England, royal English royalty that exists.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and in some ways, it almost seems to me like a parody of a history play, as well as being a history play. Like there is something so ridiculous. Like we've just gotten through the first three acts. Which has all of the back and forth, and who's aligned with whom, and the the people that that people um, that people uh, switch back and forth all the time. But I think there is there is inherently a kind of yeah, there's a there's a comedy, there's a parody um, of this sort of changing alliance allegiances, which sometimes takes an entire play, as we've seen here for characters to change, to switch allegiance. But in King John, it happens three times in one scene. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of over the top. Yeah, hang a, a casket <laughs> on it. <laughs> hang a casket on those recreant limbs. Well, thank you all so much for being a part of this very lengthy act two discussion. And we look forward to exploring these characters more and where they go in act three.